Welcome to Hear and Obey, an episode where we talk through the passage of scripture that we just preached uh, the Sunday before. My name is Ryan Chase. I'm one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church in Sioux Falls, and I'm joined today by Mark Christensen and Matt Grun. And we are in Exodus 12. Seems like we've been in Exodus 12 for, well, what's it been? It's our fourth at least three, week. three, four weeks. Mm-hmm. Been in Exodus 12 for a while. It's amazing how the, the text slows down, but getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Exodus 12, uh, verse, verse 43, into chapter 13, verse 16. And when Greg preached this yesterday, uh, I think he read the end of chapter 12. I'm just going to read in chapter 13 this time, um, beginning in verse 3, and I'll read through chapter 13, verse 16. This is God's word. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came up out from Egypt out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. And no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes and the law of the Lord, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn from uh, of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Father, thank you for your word and for these reminders of your deliverance and your faithfulness and your steadfast love. Pray that we would be reminded again today of all that you are for us in Christ and uh, that you would bless this discussion of your word, that it would dwell in us and have its full effect on us, that Mm -hmm. we might be changed by the meaning of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, like I said in the the beginning, we've been in Exodus 12 a while. The text slows down a ton when we get here. Um, Several chapters over all of the plagues, and then at the moment of their departure, it, it just comes to a grinding halt to say a lot about what's about to happen, what's happening, what just happened. Yeah. <laughs> you're about to leave, you're leaving, you just left, and, and here's what 
to think and what to do mm-hmm. because of that. So um, maybe just starting there, Greg mentioned this at the beginning. Isn't this just repetition? I think, Matt, you had a comment last week looking at this text thinking, wow, I feel for Greg having to <laughs> preach a passage that essentially just repeats what was at the beginning of chapter 12, right. stuff that you preached right. a couple weeks ago. And then we should ask that question, right? Well, mm-hmm. Why is it that this way? And I think both things are true. Why does or the answer is the same? Why does the text slow down here? And why is it seemingly bookended on both ends by this repetition of really an, a celebration of God's work, mm. of God's deliverance, and a call to remember it? Um, the repetition, especially in narrative passages is meant to teach us that what's being repeated and if it's bookended like this i think what's the uh inclusio Mm -hmm. is that the inclusio that there's a a beginning and an end that mirror each other well then whatever happened in the middle (laughs) is really important yep um all that is meant to convey to us we're, we're meant to slow down in the narrative and just take in what's happening. It's like if you drive to, um, you know, the black Hills or you go to somewhere, you drive a long ways to go see the mountains. Yeah. Um, you spend a long time just plowing through Nebraska, going to Colorado, right? Nothing's there. But then when you get there, you just want to slow down and just mm. take it all in and see all the majesty that's there. And I think that's what Moses is meaning to do here. Um, is, is cause us to slow down because the things that are happening here in the actual, Exodus event immediately before, during, and after set the tone for really the all of the Old Testament. This is the the genesis of the nation of Israel mm. in ways that I mean this this is the just seismic activity. So yeah, yeah. we're meant to just take it in. So what's being repeated? What's being repeated is God purchasing for Himself a people by removing them out of Egypt, ridding them of the leaven that's there, working it out, and then saving for himself a people and now telling them to pass it on to their children and their children and their mm-hmm. children and never forget what happened here. Um, yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. It's just, it, we, the, the details are, are important as we mm-hmm. walk through. I'm grateful that as you guys have been preaching this, you have slowed down because we'll see as we continue in Exodus that the people didn't really remember. They didn't mm-hmm. give mind to this. They forgot. And that's why they were grumbling they wanted to go back to Egypt, back to where they were enslaved. Um, so hopefully as, as we continue then through Exodus, we'll be able to remember the you know, month, month and a half we spent here in Exodus 12, uh, remembering what God was trying to kind of drill down deep in the people of Israel. Yeah. And Greg made this comment yesterday that it is always helpful to recall who was Moses's audience. Mm. We tend to think of the generation that lived through these things because mm-hmm. they're the ones in the text, the stories about them. But when Moses wrote this down, it's for the next generation, children who were born in the wilderness. They, they didn't live in Egypt. They didn't grow up under that oppression. Um, so they are already the sons. The, one of the reasons I thought it'd be helpful just to read that section of chapter 13 is because you have in, in two paragraphs, um, one dealing with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the next dealing with the consecration of the firstborn. In both of those, you, you have this instruction about um, in the future, what, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Hmm. Here's what you shall tell him. So it, it all has in view, not just remembering, but causing the next generation to remember. Mm-hmm. That, that's a big deal. It's not just you remember this way, but here's how you will remember. And by doing this and practicing these things, it will cause a natural, uh, 
inquisitiveness in your children who are going to look at and go, dad, why do you do that? Right. <laughs> That's weird. Uh, and, and it will be an opportunity for you to retell and rehearse. Here's what God did. So already, you know, just considering, th- and this was written down for that generation that's going to start to ask that question. Why do we do these things? And how did we get here? You know, knowing where you came from is essential to knowing who are we and where are we going? And so, so knowing this history of what God has done. Yeah. And just, and just, you know, recognizing the reality that we are just a forgetful people. Oh, we man. just, we, we need to be reminded of things. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's part of our core belief of being gospel centered people is that we never move on from the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's not that, you know, though I learned that when I was a kid, now I can move on to right. deeper and better things. So this is it. Um, and part of that conviction is, you know, reading the Bible. And this is part of the, also our conviction of why we preach the way we do. Mm-hmm. We're not skipping over sections of That's Exodus right. because it doesn't pertain to us. We need to get to the real stuff. We want to, it's <laughs> tempting though, isn't it? It, it it's is tempting to read it and, and you just start to skim and you go, didn't we just hear all this stuff? And, and, and to have that kind of view of like, well, that, that doesn't make sense. And why would that be repeated? And right. Or get to uncomfortable parts and like, ah, we, that's not really, it doesn't quote unquote pertain to us. Yeah. And yeah. Um, well, clearly the second generation of, of, of Israelites needed to hear what their fathers forgot mm-hmm. because there's a reason why he's writing to the second generation for reasons that will come yeah. <laughs> is that the first generation failed miserably at this because as, as has been said numerous times, the first generation loves the gospel. Second generation assumes the gospel. Mm. The third generation will forget the gospel. And yeah. we've, I mean, we can see that playing out in our society right now, let alone we're also seeing it play out yeah. in the Exodus. That's helpful. Say that again. So First generation loves it. Second assumes it. That's right. The next generation, third one after forgets it. Forgets it. That, that's, that's a helpful way to think about um, just obviously it's God's desire for parents to faithfully pass on to the next generation truth about who he is and, and what he has done in such a way that the next generation doesn't merely assume, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we know that, we take it for granted, but that the next generation would also love it. That's right. Each generation then the goal is that our kids would love it. Not mm-hmm. just know it, yeah. not just be familiar with it, and but not, love and, it from the heart. And not just obey it. Right. Right? Like that I forget where I heard it, but the goal is not for our for our children and just for us to mm-hmm. obey the law of God right. out of just some mere duty. Outward That's conformity. Right. Just because this is how we've always done it and I guess I have to do it. Because what that inevitably produces is what we have now of the kind of like an ex evangelical I was traumatized. I was abused. I was Mm. just told to do it and I did it because they said so. Mm -hmm. And now I know that that's blah, blah, blah. But if we, if certainly there is, is joy in, or, um, you know, godliness in just the doing, but the goal is not just to do it. The goal is to love the law. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's the, the temptation when we're just doing religion, doing Christianity as tradition. Um, that's the danger of it being pushed to the periphery. Greg would use that D.A. Carson, uh, Don Carson quote, talking about when, um, like you said earlier, the gospel is just assumed. Uh, it, gets, it drifts towards the periphery. What should be central, um, what should be enjoyed, mm-hmm. the cross as central in our lives, um, just becomes a mere um, you know, second place or mm-hmm. outer um, part of our lives. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's not so much a, an ordering of importances. It, it's more of like the spoke of a wheel where... You know the the center of that spoke 
is the gospel. And if that is out of place, if that's been moved around, right. your car is not going to make it. Yeah. It's going to fall apart. It can't go anywhere. It's mm-hmm. just going to stall out and die. And you're going to give up on it. That yep. gospel, that spoke needs to be at the dead center. And then everything else spins off of that and is informed by it and in grows out of it. Yeah. Just reading this text and observing again, um, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the consecration of the firstborn. These are very specific practices and rituals and celebrations and things for people to participate in. Mm -hmm. So, So God gave his people, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, very tangible, you know, a meal, a uh, certain kind of food to eat. And in, in some ways you, you see that in every culture, you know, that's kind of what a culture is. It has certain shared practices so mm-hmm. that even if two different households aren't close cousins, you, you know, like this, this is the food that this culture eats at right. this time of year in celebration of whatever. So you think about like in the you know, closest parable, parallel we could think of in America would be like the 4th of July for us is celebration of our independence mm. and what do we do we, we down with king george <laughs> that's right <laughs> blow things up blow things up you light off firecrackers and you know blow up fireworks and and that's the kind of thing that kids might go at some point they get to a certain age and they go dad why why do we do that mm. and and there is a connection right i mean it it reminds us of a war that was fought mm-hmm. um for independence and so you know it, that's helpful to to realize rather than because i think when you come in as a foreigner yeah removed by thousands of years from a totally different culture and you you read a verse about break, breaking a donkey's neck you're like <laughs> wait what, what is going on mm. <laughs> it seems so hard to relate to and sorry keep but going. it's but it's meaningful yeah. when you understand at the center of it all is what god did and remembering that generation after generation remembering what God did. And I think there's something to be said that he repeats even the details. Like the Mm -hmm. second time through, he doesn't just, hey, remember that we talked about the consecration of the firstborn. We talked about the Pat, let's just do that again. Mm -hmm. No, he goes back into the details to remind them of of all the ways. And we'd be tempted to read it as like, man, this feels like a lot of legalism, a lot of law, a lot of like, these are instead, what if we saw these as ways God is providing for their salvation, providing for them in very specific, tangible ways because he cares for them. Um, And I I just remember when I was prepping for the Passover or the Exodus 12 passages and then here, um, he even makes provision for those who don't have enough. Mm. You know, if, if you can't, if there isn't any, um, if, if somebody can't, doesn't have a lamb, bring them into your home. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of, yeah, of, your household is small and you've got more, bring somebody else so that there's right. no waste and no, everybody's covered. And No Israelite could say that night, God didn't provide for me or cared for yeah. me because he did mm-hmm. and he did abundantly mm-hmm. and he made himself known in multiple ways, not only in the wrathful angel of death, but also in his grace in providing a substitute. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's worth wondering why are these things repeated? Why, yeah. not, why not repeat the plagues? Why not repeat... I repeat all the hardness of mm. Pharaoh's heart. Why, why not, if you're going to retell something, why not retell the epic of, mm. of the plagues? But he stops to talk about these feasts mm. because they're meant to be celebrations of yeah. the sovereign grace of God. And they're, they're meant to um, characterize and uh, this is what it means to be an Israelite, one of God's people. Yeah, um, that's, that's where true. Paul, that's where Paul goes in the New Testament. And Craig had brought out... Uh, 
kind of sunk into first Corinthians five. Um, Paul there says, you know, there's sexual immorality uh, happening in the church. It's being um, not only left untouched, but it's being approved of Mm -hmm. um, by the people there. And Paul goes to Exodus 12, uh, does not a little leaven, uh, as you had brought out, Matt, as Greg had brought out, leaven representing sin, um, does not a little bit of leaven, leaven the whole lump. It it destroys, it ruins everything that's allowed to fester and grow. And so, um, but he, he roots it in, this is who you are as God's people. And so that's why they were told to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's because that's what it meant to be, um, one of God's people is celebrating that feast. Yeah. It was, I've heard before, um, just interacting with people from Somalia, they say to be Somali is to be Muslim. Mm. Um, so their religion, their practice was so ingrained with who they were. Yeah. I think in the same way to be a Christian is to be, um, you know, celebrating this feast Mm -hmm. and what it represents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unleavened. Yeah. And, And how kind and, and gracious and wise of God to give tangible things like the feast of unleavened bread that it has direct connections to the events from that night. They ate in a hurry. They were thrust out of Egypt. They didn't have any time to let the bread rise. So there's a, a correlation there and a remembrance of those events, but also built into it, this deeper principle a a spiritual truth Mm. that paul draws out later and is able to say remember the unleavened bread it's not really about the leaven itself it's actually about your heart it's not about your bread it's about your heart Mm. and the bread is a an expression of that so it gives you something to connect you know you can hang things on these hooks of understanding right um but then by maturity realize oh it, it's about what's going on in my heart and sin is like that. And and that's helpful to understand what sin is and how it functions so that you don't tolerate a little bit of it in your life and think, well, that nobody will notice and that won't affect anything. And what a joy that like he, he gives such tangible things so that you don't need a PhD in systematic or biblical mm-hmm. theology in order to, to grasp these concepts. These are lessons that not only could they, but they're commanded to teach their children. So how many you know, moms can sit around the table making yeah. sourdough with their kids and right there have something to tie yeah. in their little minds to what sin does in the heart oh, and yeah. what it just, that's it, God's grace. It brings, it's amazing. It, Only God right. in his wisdom. But it also, I mean, I think we can dive even deeper. It's not just that, Oh, look at these cool connections that this is like this. It's more of no, this, it, it goes to speak to this is God's world that he's right. spoken into being. Of course things correlate. Right. Of course there are, <laughs> it would just make sense of God if he is a good author, which we claim him to be and which we know him to be, yeah. that everything, even from creating bread, ties to the most <laughs> the most beautiful and glorious reality of the Passover meal mm. um, and the, the Feast of Unleavened mm. Bread. Uh, something just like making bread with your kids can instantly turn in this. I remember I, I told the story in that sermon of um, gotten, it's, this isn't just true of Old Testament Israel. This is true of us and to not waste opportunities to mm-hmm. teach our children that um, I remember first time I explained to Adeline what the, what the Lord's supper was doing. Cause she was just like, what is happening? <laughs> Her eyes were just like, why can't I eat of that? Well, mm-hmm. let me explain why. Cause it represents this and this. And of course she didn't, you know, that first time through, she was not like, oh, well, 
great. Let me go write a one page paper on that. <laughs> she, but now she has categories that the next time she comes through, she yeah. knows, okay, something's different here. And right. as she grows older, my, my job yeah. is to train her up in the nurture and admonition yeah. in the incul- incul- how do you say right? inculcate inculcation of the people of God. Yeah. Um, and like you, like, just like you just said, Mark, like to the Israelites, this was now becoming, this would become rhythms that made them who they were. Right. Mm. Um, and for us, what are those rhythms that, that make us the people of God? Yeah. And he's given us plenty. Yeah. And it's not merely abstract. Yeah. I think when you right. make that connection to your daughter and that experience, a, a child might sit there in on a Sunday morning in a church service and a lot of stuff is going to be over their head. Oh yeah. Abstract. People are talking, but it's about things I don't recognize. So I tune it out and then something tangible passes right in front of your face. <laughs> There's, you know, it's experiential right. and, and God made us as embodied souls. So it, it's, our faith is not just in the abstract, you know, baptism is a, a tangible thing That's to right. participate in. You actually get wet. That's right. um, you know, the, the Lord's supper, you actually imbibe something you you digest ingest something uh, weddings participate what why don't we just do weddings you know yeah down at the courthouse <laughs> down at the courthouse away from everybody why is it such a public event mm-hmm. right because it's meant to be seen it's, it's meant dramatization to be, exactly it's meant to be taken in with all the senses with the music and the mm-hmm. food and the dancing and the vows and all and all yeah. the beauty that's on on parade mm-hmm. it's just we live in a visceral world because we're, we're, we're tangible, visceral people. Yeah. And God made us that way. I think we've talked about this a couple of times before too, but just the importance of community and all that. Right. Um, it's very hard, if not impossible to do alone. Mm. Um, and so just thinking, you know, they weren't told to have this feast alone yeah. to commemorate or to celebrate this feast alone. You go have a quiet time but, and meditate on this. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they were called to do this together. And so, yeah. um, in a small way, we do that in MCs every week. Mm-hmm. We do that in discipleship huddles, mm-hmm. um, where you're really able to, um, let's get rid of the leaven. Let's get rid of the sin. Mm-hmm. Um, let's hold one another accountable in love, caring for one another, yeah. um, encouraging one another in that way. That, that's a great point. And, yeah. and really when the connection Paul makes that leaven in, in the end, it's not about the bread. It's about your hearts, and mm-hmm. it's it's about sin in your hearts, which is like leaven and and affects the whole thing a little bit, causes the whole batch to rise. Um, that there's a community aspect to that because what the problem he's dealing with in the church in Corinth, right. sin in one member, he's saying that affects the whole church. Mm-hmm. The whole church is affected by that leaven it, it's working its way through and when others begin to tolerate that they are that being one corrupted man, that by one it man is affected too yeah you know if the church around him is not right um seeking to call him to repentance right you know he's being affected he's emboldened as well. and, yep yep exactly and so even that again it's just god revealing truth to us about the nature of sin that aren't we don't we tend to think too little of sin mm-hmm. not that big a deal it, it won't really hurt much or mm-hmm. anybody else or i'll just keep that between me and god or and and so this is just true in any household any family unit you know one member of the family with a sinful attitude can you know you can ruin all of dinner time with yeah. a bad attitude at the table so mm-hmm. it's, it's a little leaven that's going to work its way through mm-hmm. and, and so we confront that and we 
call that member of the family to confess and ask for forgiveness. And then we extend forgiveness and grace and welcome that member of the family back into fellowship. We deal with the leaven right away so it doesn't spread through everybody. And then you just scale that up to, yeah, an MC, an entire church. Um, That's sobering. It's Mm. convicting. Um, I think it should make us all just heighten our awareness of sin and its dangers um, should motivate us to lovingly encourage those who are in sin to turn right. and repent. And yeah. And the motivation is not purely be on the lookout, um, which, which is right. But I think the point of this text and the point of, you know, the gospel in general and of Paul's in first Corinthians five is that, you know, there is a, we can do something with it. Yeah. Like there's something you don't just, if we see leaven, you know, burn it ourselves. No, there's somewhere we can actually take it and actually get rid of it. Yeah, I just, that's right. I think of, um, Eustace, God has made provision. Yeah. I, I think of Eustace in, um, in the voyage of the Dawn Treader where he's been dragoned mm-hmm. <laughs> and he tries to undragon himself mm-hmm. and it can never go deep enough. He mm-hmm. can't get the leaven out on his own. Mm-hmm. He needs Aslan to dig in way deeper than he would have ever yeah. gone and mm-hmm. actually begin to do it. Right. Um, and he's made provision for it. Um, yeah. He's just gotten to his own problem by his own pride and mm-hmm. selfishness and vainglory and all the all the rest. And the only way out is through the blood of Jesus. Mm. The only remedy is, and, and that's ultimately the hope. We're not on the lookout just to be, right? You know, point out the logs in everybody else's eyes and the speck in our own. No, it's the log in our own eye and the speck in everybody else's. But we actually have something that we can do. There's with hope. It. There's hope. There's a place to bring it. Yeah. Yeah. As Paul says right there in First Corinthians five verse seven, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, mm. as you really are unleavened. That's right. So it's rooted in this gospel reality. This is true of you in Christ, and when you are tolerating sin, you are living in a way that's out of sync with what's true of you. But in Christ, you really are an unleavened batch of dough. Mm. So live consistent with that. And, and, and so it's not this reality you're trying to create by your own striving. Oh man, we got to do enough on our own to make ourselves unleavened. No, Christ has made us unleavened and therefore we should take seriously the sin that we see in our own hearts. Yeah. Our Passover lamb who's already, um, God's wrath, his judgment has already been poured out yeah. on the lamb. That's it. Amazing. Any other takeaways, applications, thoughts? affections that stirs in you yeah i think uh caleb set us up really well just singing oh great god Mm. right after the sermon that song is just so focused on because of what you've done christ help me now to live a life Mm. dependent on your grace Mm -hmm. Uh, and then keep me you know Mm -hmm. help me keep me um this is what i'm striving to do because of what you've done and so yeah just leaving leaving that sermon yesterday um not confident that i've got it all figured out now but just more aware of christ in the way that he mm-hmm. helps and sustains and yeah mark to your point on the need how this emphasizes the need for community and just kind of our call to one another to to just help work out the leaven um just a sweet day where we were, we added more members to our church mm. um and ryan i think you made a comment in your in the in the in the thing where you acknowledge the rest of the church and introducing them, our covenant, our covenant commitments, our obligations now extend to these saints. Yeah. Um, and that's a joy and that's a sweet, um, 
conviction. It's a sweet, um, you know, reality that we now care for these people differently than we care for our other people in the world. Yeah. Um, and, and now, you know, they've been added into our lump, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so now there is a, we, 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 we build up one another, we encourage one another, we care for one another to this end to ultimately be brought, um, to be made more into the image of Christ. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's a sweet, it was a sweet Sunday in yeah. general. Yeah. I, I think for me, just talking through the text right now, um, often we, we've, talked about how when we're reading and studying and thinking about preaching a text, one of the questions we're asking is what's the fallen condition focus? Mm-hmm. What, what, what is the, the fallen condition of humanity that we see in this text and what grace does God give to that? And, and just our fallen condition, um, our tendency to forget mm-hmm. and to assume and to take for granted and to, to belittle God's redemptive mm-hmm. work. Um, I, I'm just convicted. I, I think as a, pastor talking about God's word, talking about the gospel all the time, it, it can become routine. I've, mm-hmm. I've said the same thing a million times. I bet people are tired of hearing this and, you know, how do I possibly say it differently? And it, it, it you can just fall into that kind of like temptation to think, well, I, got, I need to move on to something else different or more interesting or, and just to see God addresses that temptation and that problem in us hmm. by just saying, don't ever move on from this. Remember this forever. <laughs> tell your sons. That's it. So yeah, tell your sons and pass it on. And so Greg's title yesterday, keeping the main thing, the main thing. Um, we need to hear that because I, I can relate to that tendency to, to drift like that Carson quote and, you know, mm-hmm. other things that are on the periphery become more central and what should be at the center becomes old hat and routine. And so how kind of God to remind us, Matt, your sermon a couple weeks ago, very same point. And then here after the Exodus, again, the same point because, <laughs> so it's not only are we told to remember it, it it's also built into the structure of this bookend around mm. the Exodus. Mm. Don't forget. That's right. So may, may that be true for us regarding the gospel that we would not ever forget or take it for granted or assume, but treasure deeply the grace of God to us in Christ. That's right. That's good. Amen.